From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome everybody to another edition of The Groundsman. Joining me, as always, on the left, Roger Mitchell, on the right, Giles Morgan. Rog, hi mate. Hi, how are you doing, Grant? Good to see you. Doing very well indeed. Giles, how are you? I'm good, I'm a bit tired. I've, um, As you know, I've been in a cast for quite a long time, which has sort of curtailed some of my better Groundsman activities. Yes, absolutely. When, when is the opening night of Cats? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm out of the cast and I've been hobbling a bit, but um, I've got double sandwiches instead for my lunch break, so that's good. Boy. Well, look, gents, as always, who knows where this hour will take us, but no doubt we've got plenty of stuff to talk about. Rog, what's been uh, putting the wind in your sail this week? Uh, well, you know, I didn't manage to get to the reopening of the, the conference world, uh, neither in, I think it was Sportel was on the same time as, as Leaders, which was um, in London, obviously. And I watched it from afar and sometimes watching things from afar and hearing people's feedback is is better than it being at the event. So, you know, I, I kind of like thought, what, 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 what am I seeing here? What, what is what is this industry looking like when when it's come out of basically um, a year and a half of of like a comatose state? And, you know, I kept coming back to this is maybe going to be a little bit like um unit economics porn accounting porn but you know i kept coming back to a formula you know which is lifetime value greater than cost of customer acquisition and and you know wh- why why do i say that uh, you know because everything that i heard about in leaders and and outside is is about community business is about you know building your fan base your subscribers and everywhere you look you see the basic subscription model, uh, and I'd love to hear your views on this, Grant, because you're in this business. The basic subscription model is, we're being told, not enough. Not enough. That, um, for various reasons, whether that's churn or whether it's the enormous elephant in the room called piracy, we've seen the zone uh, in some ways um, struggle with a subscription-only model. We've seen the athletic uh, that came out with you know some of its numbers that look in many ways horrendous, certainly to justify that valuation. And then you see um, what all these businesses are doing, and what they're doing is adding on different revenue streams. So you know before going into a deep dive in all of that, you know I, I like to consider the sports industry by the golden formula these days. Lifetime value of a customer, is that greater than the cost of acquiring that customer? If it is, you have got a decent business. If it isn't, it's a whole world of pain. And uh, to get that lifetime value up, you can't rely on one revenue stream. So that, my friend, would be to answer your question, what is the wind in my sails? Well, it's interesting, Roger. You know, um, I do have a bit of experience in this business. And I think the problem where the companies you talked about struggle some will fail, some won't, is 
scale and ambition. That's the problem. It's a very good business. The subscription business is a good business if you understand your audience, if you understand the audience size, and you you calibrate your cash flows accordingly. Right. Um, what tends to happen is these businesses decide that everyone is their customer, and they build infrastructure that will only be successful if everybody subscribes and everybody stays subscribed. Right. It's not always going to be that way. You know, there are there are really good, really solid, small niche audiences that want a particular type of content, whether it's about a particular sport, particular player, particular club, whether it's delivered in a certain way. There are really strong audiences, but everybody expects everybody to be their audience, and that's what they go after. So as soon as you do that and you build an audience that absolutely needs scale to be successful, you create huge infrastructure with massive overheads, and then you have to go out and find people. A, it's not as easy to think to just find those huge pools of people. And B, once you get them, it get, becomes even harder to keep them uh, the bigger the audience is because you have to differentiate your product so many different ways to embrace the wings of that audience. So it, for me, it, it's the subscription business is a great business to be in if you are honest with yourself about the size of your audience. And if you are sensible about creating a product that engages that audience, because what you'll then end up with is, is a much lower churn rate crunch. And then you get a business that you can make forecasts about. You can make assumptions about the future that tend to be reasonably accurate. So I don't think the subscription business is a bad business or, frankly, a tough business if you create good content. What I think is in this world where scale is everything, the two are not easy bedfellows. Giles, what, what do you think? You know, like you're always talking these days about knowing the fan and first-party data, and of course that is the key element of uh, bringing your cost of acquisition, customer acquisition down. But you know, what was the vibe there? You know, I I kind of think that the, the the sports industries had a wee bit of a road bump here. You know, it, it got into the direct-to-consumer theme, the vibe um, two years ago, and then you had the zone, you had the athletic. You know, other smaller examples of this. <laughs> the rant will come. It, it will come. You know, it will yeah, come. It's, 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 we're, we're in the pre-rant phase here. Yeah, we're, we're in the pre-rant phase. This, this is the setup. No, this is well. We I prefer to call it the fluffer stage rather than the you know. It's exactly. Just this is this is the, this is the fluffer oh, stage. So 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 Giles, like, what what do you think? Do you think that this you know transition from B to B to a B to C model that we've all really kind of like to continue the metaphor maybe got a little bit excited about overexcited? Is it coming down to earth a little bit when people see the problems of churn and piracy and? And the athletic and and the zone struggling a little bit. What, what what was the vibe at leaders and all of that? Well, I'd just like to go back a stage because the question, as you framed it, was you know what was it like to be at a real live conference again? Sure, we've had, we've had eighteen months of lots of virtual conferences and lots of uh, virtual roundtables and lots of virtual stuff. And one of the themes of this podcast for the last three or four years that you two have generated, which I've happily jumped on your on your coattails is that perhaps the sports industry has been asleep for 15 20 years right and it's been a a a club for the boys and it's been a club where everybody knows the old revenue streams that that used to be and it's been asleep at the wheel and there's been a technological revolution and it's about time sport woke up 
that's why this podcast, I think, has done pretty well, as people have been listening, particularly to your both your expertise from other industries, frankly, um, and how the sports industry needs to wake up. What I was really surprised about, these conferences, Leaders has won, there's Sportel, weirdly at the same time, exactly the same date. How on earth that could happen? I have no idea. And still yet, a lot of the very senior bigwigs, whoever they may be, and I used to be one, don't necessarily turn up. And in the old days, if you did turn up as a bigwig, you were kind of fated around, carried around on a chieftain's shield, and everybody sort of showering gold at people, and people sure. might look at people. And there was this great deference that maybe, you know, the head of the IOC or FIFA turned up, etc. But they didn't often. And still they don't. There is still not an, yep. enough senior leadership there. And the reason that I pick up on that now is we've had this 18 months sort of hibernation and hiatus where the sports industry has been dealt a very big black eye which is you need to wake up to a new imperative, which is the D2C, this whole sense of you're a platform business, you better learn the new way. And yet still people aren't necessarily turning up the people, not to be there to shower um, grace and favors on people, but to listen. And I think the conferences now have a new role to play, which is to educate the industry. I think they've been doing it very well virtually, and we've all been involved in various things. But I was still staggered that the old, it was still the old wheeler dealer people sort of finding little ante rooms to try and do a deal. Lots yeah. of hugging, lots of fist pumping, lots of handshakes. Yeah. Great. But I didn't sense, I will, you're willing me to get to the point. I didn't get the sense that the industry was really taking itself seriously, which is, have we learnt? the new world order because we've been talking about it and people have been agreeing and yet i was seeing the old agencies coming in trying to do a deal here <laughs> rather than listening to this shift change that you two in particular have really been i think signaling for quite some time you know giles i think i think that's that was my feedback as well i think somebody said um not enough heavy hitters certainly not enough women um, and they were still talking the way they were two or three years ago. You know, um, I, I just asked myself, coming back to what I said before, how many at that conference uh, have got um, the ability to discuss with credibility that formula I said earlier? Which you need to know if you're in um, the D2C uh, business business model. Uh, lifetime value greater than cost of customer acquisition. Well, you know, and, 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 and you know, I, I just hear them all still going through various flavors of a B2B model where all this little cool stuff, whether it's coming from uh, Buzzer or Annie Mocha, um, is kind of like seen as oh, we need to do a wee bit over there, don't we? You know, like the way uh, ad agencies used to say, oh, we need to do digital in some... What's the budget for digital? You know, yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's, the, that's what I sensed looking at the last couple of weeks. If I were one of the conference organisers now, I'd be getting someone like a Sir Michael Moritz or someone like that who absolutely has credibility, even Sorrel, and talk about the real imperative going forward. Talk about the change, because... It's there for people to listen to. And you're right, being a bit part with a few nice sort of conference sponsor booths with people handing out lukewarm coffee, hoping to get a meeting and hoping to be spotted. That's the old, that's not going to change the industry. The industry is going to change by understanding the B2C model and understanding that there is gold in the hills. 
but it needs to be done differently. It's not to knock the conferences. I think they did a brilliant job. They looked fantastic. It was genuinely, it was great Great to see old mates in the bar, and that's always a good way to do business. Of course it is. But actually, for the first time in my 30-year career in the industry, the last two years is the light's gone on for a lot of people. Now is the time to change and make that change quickly. And that means getting the right content and thought leaders in there and not going, right, we've got to do a baseless to the head of the Champions League or whoever it is talking the same old garbage. I want the new stuff, not the old stuff. Right, so let, me, let, me, let me ask you this. Mm. Um, how much of a problem is fragmentation in this? Because the ease of entry into this business, it's really easy to raise capital. Or it has been really easy to raise capital. Yeah. Right? So there are all these kind of platforms showing up, that whether they're going to stream stuff or they're going to buy rights to something, whatever it may be. There are so many people now trying to get in on this. And to your point, I think they've all figured, well, we just build it and they'll come, right? It's sport. People will come and watch it. But if you're a consumer now, there are so many different places you can watch something. like It's really hard to keep up. Like, I'm including pirate streams. Including yeah, pirate exactly. streams. I, I'm here in the, U, in the US and, I'm, and I want to watch the Fulham game last week against QPR. And I'm having to type in to the internet, how do I watch Fulham championship game in the US? And there's about 12 different ways of watching it right there's it's on univision and it's on this it's on that so then you have to go through and figure out well which one of these do i have access to do i have a yeah. subscription to it's relentless and so honestly i gave up i'm like you know what this is just too hard i, I can't yeah. i don't it's nothing obvious it's not on my tv it's not on an app on my phone I, i'm not going hunting down the internet to try and find some obscure stream i just can't be asked with it but every one of those people that were streaming it has obviously paid for championship rights for something and a lot of them are going to end up obsolete. So if you're a consumer, what do you do? You sit there and you wait until something becomes obsolete. I don't know. How does it work? Listen, it's a great point. Again, I think this is a bit of slowness in understanding uh, what people speak about all the time, but I don't think they really buy it, which is the younger generations are different. You know, I would say the centerpiece of leaders this week that came back to me from various people where it was three people. Uh, there was Peter Moore from Unity who talked about, um, I think we may have got, a, we may have a tweet here or that. They talked about a revolution in sport that is coming from basically video games and, and how uh, younger kids, th- this is a guy who was a chief executive of Liverpool. This isn't a, a games guy that thinks he can talk sport. This is a guy that's at the highest level of sport. Yeah. Then, you know, the, the, the other ones were Buzzer, which is all about basically a mobile first notification of your, the, the, the really sharp end of sport. You know, you're getting to the last quarter, they're even, you know, tune in now. Um, if, you've, if you've got a subscription, you know, that's fine. If you haven't, here's a micropayment. It's obviously, you know, um, uh, once you get into micropayments, you're into things like blockchain and everything like that. Um, and, and, and all of these themes, all, all of these themes are about the fact, like you're saying, Grant, that these younger generations, they're not going to take the product that we've offered them. First of all, they've got piracy. You know, I heard of a story uh, last weekend at one of uh, uh, London's universities where um, the the Formula One uh, society, you know, they all have societies, university, you know, they had a watch party, let's get together, you know, a proper room, proper lighting, you know, the beers were all ready, big projector, um, Pirate stream, 
Now, I don't know why it was a pirate stream. I don't think the, the F1 OTT uh, um, uh, product is available in the UK for, for conflict reasons with Sky, I think, or whatever it is. But the fact is, these, these so-and-sos find a pirate stream dead easy, and the quality is great, and they just get on with it. So, you know, I, I, I think we are still in a world of you buy rights, you put it in a cable package, or maybe you go direct to consumer, and it'll all be all right on the night. And I'm telling you, I don't think the data points are backing that up. What do you see people doing there? Let's take a couple of examples. You know, my old favorite's Barstool. You know, they, they start as a subscription business, you know, and, 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 you know, they've obviously added in betting as they've been bought by Penn. And, and what are they doing now? You know, uh, they started some content, pretty laddie content about, uh, you know, pizza reviews. And, and, and now, you know, they've started selling frozen pizza, you know, um, and there we are there. And look at those numbers immediately. You know, that's what you would call a, a diversified revenue stream. You know, let, let's let's take another one. You know, um, you've got DAZN, who, um, no bloody coincidence, who they hired recently um, to expand their revenue streams because they know subscriptions ain't going to cut it. You've got you've got Turnbull. Turnbull comes from one of the biggest betting companies in the UK. You know, so betting again. You know, and, and, and what else? You know, you look at Fanatics, which uh, people would consider an e-commerce company. You know, they've disrupted two major uh, uh, industries in the collectibles, uh, two major rights holders. And, and now, you know, they, they've started saying we want to get involved in, in rights. So it's uh, the word you used, uh, Grant, is fragmented. And what I'm saying is that the smart kids in the industry are realizing that multiple revenue streams to increase that lifetime value of your customer is premium necessity. And, you know, I just don't think the industry has picked that up yet. Raj, when you talk about the industry, how many people can it support realistically? If you, if you look at the size and the loftiness of everybody's ambitions in terms of what they want to garner as their total addressable market, whatever it may be, how many can it support, realistically speaking? You are, you're either going to end up right where we are now with some big incumbents that hold the whip hand, or you're going to end up with a whole bunch of pretenders who get a little corner of the market here and get a little group of fans there. Either way, but we all realize there is no way that all of these upstart companies can have an audience the size of which is in their deck when they went out to raise money, right? It's just it just doesn't work because the audience isn't that big. Well, so you see the audience. You see, well, well, let, let's address this word: the total addressable market. Tam, you say it isn't that big, but I could put together a wee um, a wee slide now that says if I add in the, the gaming industry, if I add in the betting industry, if I add in fantasy, if I add, uh, add in media streaming, the streaming wars, e-commerce, uh, data. All of those, this is probably the biggest market in the world, total addressable market. And what you're finding now is that everybody is consolidating so that they're going to encroach into everybody else's business. You That's know, guys like Panini and Tops thought they were in the collectibles business. Uh, Fanatic says, uh, yeah, but so am I now. This is the point I'm making. Let's look at um, uh, my old favorite, Ari, Ari Emanuel at Endeavor. You know, one of the biggest deals in the industry last month when he buys OpenBet. Just look at that quote there. 
Look at that quote there. When gambling comes into the mix and probably gambling with video games, that's what we're saying at leaders with uh, Animoca, the econ economics are going to get pretty steep pretty quickly. Now, I'll give you another example. I hate to talk about the companies I work with, but this is a classic example. You know, I work with, a, 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 a let's call it a, an integrated streaming platform called Aura that tries to bring all these things together. It's got everything from NFTs to e-commerce to betting to personal, everything like that. So, you know, we've obviously spoken to everybody in the industry about that from Endeavor down. And, you know, when you speak to the tech guys, they say, well, how did you get all these interactive features into a streaming platform? And the guy, that the founder, he's this just amazing Australian guy. He says, well, that's your problem. We didn't start with a streaming platform. We started with a video game where we've integrated streaming content. And I'm afraid to say, you know, uh, Animoca said this very clearly. That's where you start. This industry has, is no longer, I don't think, ready to understand that you need to maybe flip it to start from video games and all that area and build out everything from there. So when you say, is everybody going to uh, have enough market to uh, survive and justify their deck? No, clearly no. But I'm telling you, you look at something like Buzzer that I believe fundamentally, and by the way, that's our next guest on the big interview, Bohan, his product market fit, mobile first, Gen Z, notification of the game's, um, let's say, uh, marquee premium moments, integrated with you know your subscription package that's perfect yeah, you know i don't disagree it's perfect but then you see you know uh, and and you know i love the zone and i love their, 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 their what they've done but you know they've struggled for two or three years to work out do we go big in small markets do we go small in bigger markets is it only boxing is it multi is it do you know what i mean and, yeah, and, and that's and, my point exactly well it's exactly. pretty hard because the thing grant is when everybody's invading everybody else's little like what they thought was their fiefdom in their market, you've got to react. And what I'm saying is the only way that you can manage in this industry now is if you understand that golden formula. Lifetime value is greater than cost of customer acquisition. And I don't think sport is scaled up to know that formula. That's the rant. That's it. Rant That's over. Rant That's off. That was good. All right, fantastic, Jilo. What are you? Uh, what do you got in your sales this week? Anything interesting? Well, I think we've said this one about a year ago. It doesn't happen very often, sadly, because he's not been playing so well. But it's quite nice to see Rory McIlroy win again, wasn't it? <laughs> I was going to bring that up myself. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't that Just, great to see him win again? You know, again, when we go into a deep dive about sport and D two C and consumers, it's absolutely right, and everything Roger says is right, and, and we're kind of trying to shake the industry into a new dawn but my god it's brilliant just at its most simple when a team or in this case an individual just wins particularly when he's been having having his problems i think he's now top 20 is that right well that was his 20th pga tour win 20 um, okay that's what it was and, I wasn't he, sure. and he was 16 under on the weekend uh and, and, I, and I, I couldn't help but smile thinking of you Rod, when i when i saw him win I mean, it was a, it was a, it was what a was tremendous the name of the tournament what was the name of the tournament huh? the name the of the cup 
CJ Cup in the Spain. Yeah, yeah, that's field. the one I remember. No, yeah, no, yeah, I've got that one on my wall. I've got a list of previous winners on my wall of that one. Such a twat. You really are. It was a great victory. <laughs> Face down Colin Morikawa, shot 1,600 at the weekend. It was a great victory. Do you know, and, 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 and I mean, end of, because particularly when Bloody Mitchell, he'll win some putting competition at Lake Coma Golf Club and we'll never hear the end of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, 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 I am delighted for him. Listen, I, 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 I do like him. I, I did see uh, something, a video of him this weekend. He's such a lovely guy, isn't he? he you know, is. um, you know, I think it was something a little chipping thing that he did with Taylor Made or whatever it was. And you know, he was there with with uh, with Tiger, and I think it was another big player. I think it was Day, Jason Day, maybe. And and you know, it was just lovely. You know, he's got a lovely manner about him. I, I really admire that. Yeah, the other thing, Giles, I don't know, Roger, I don't know if you saw this, was uh, Cameron Norrie winning the Indian Wells tennis tournament yesterday, which is, you know, we could be in a golden age of British tennis here. We saw that coming. Along. What did we did warn about MR? We did warn about that. Look what happened. All these commercial things, she changes her coach, boom. I'm telling you, the hardest thing was, right, what do we do now so that we don't lose it? And, and you know, I think she's got off to a bad, a bad start. And it, sadly, not, not, not a surprise. Not a surprise. Well, I think it's too early to say, but I, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. But, but, but yes, the the, the 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 warning is certainly there. But it was brilliant to see Cameron Norrie. I think he's the only Brit who's ever won the the Indian Correct. Wells ever, which yep. in itself is a sort of the fifth major or fifth slam or whatever. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good sign for for British tennis and and Scottish tennis in particular. Scottish tennis. Wow. <laughs> Who would have thought that would be a thing, Rush, eh? Yeah. Who would have thought, yeah, who would have thought Judy Murray started something there? Yeah. So, Rush, come on, you must have more rents up your Oh, I do have week. a lot more, and, and this one I'm going to drag you in, and, come you on. know, um, because everybody loved so much the last time on Grounds when you talked about Evergrande, um, because, you know, I'm a great believer, you know, I, I think we walk the talk here, and I'm always thinking, there's so many great podcasts out there in sport, you know, what is our added advantage our added advantage is we can talk about Evergrande, and now I'm going to get you to talk about Binance, and I'm going to talk <laughs> get to talk about Tether, right? You know because Binance did um, a, a pretty high profile sponsorship deal with Lazio, uh, hard on the heels of similarish, right? Similarish companies like Socios in Inter Milan, Roma's got its own one. Um, all, all over the place, you see these things. I want to add a little bit more context and uh, because it's the flip side of what I said earlier. Yes, I believe that things are going to go absolutely in the area of the, the blockchain. Or by the way, you say on the chain. You don't say blockchain. You say on the chain. Go, go in the direction on the chain and on the direction of crypto. But does that mean that everything's valued collect correctly? Does that mean that things are, are, are not in a bubble or, or did I even say a Ponzi? I don't think so. So I, as, as ever in life, the challenge is to sort the wheat from the chaff. You know, so um, th this show, which, you know, as we always say, sponsored by Entourage. Entourage is a company that's right in the middle of this just now. And the, the reason I want to bring it up is because we are getting approached by a lot of investors now that want to invest into Entourage for all its vision into um, NFTs, digital goods, virtual props, everything like that, crypto, all that. They want to invest into us with stablecoin, you know? So investors are coming into this now. Binance is financing a major Italian soccer team. Uh, same with Socios. Uh, again, what you heard in Leaders from Animoca, everything like that. Tell us the other side of the argument, Grant, that 
yeah, I know you th- you see the future for crypto, but what is happening in the markets just now? And is everything we see as golden glitter or false? Look, uh, well, there's no black and white answer to that, Rog. I mean, what we're seeing is crypto exchanges flush with cash based on what's happening in the crypto world, flush with cash and spreading it around like wildfire. You know, FTX, this company run by Sam Bankman-Fried out in um at Hong Kong, uh, although I suspect he'll be leaving Hong Kong fairly soon. I don't think he wants to be too close to uh, the Chinese government. But um, we're seeing a lot of these uh, companies throwing cash around and becoming legitimate. You know, FTX are on, you see the pictures there of Binance on Lazio shirts. FTX are getting stadium naming rights for uh, all kinds of venues around the US particularly. You know, it's the same as the as we saw the, the, the betting names all over the shirts in, in the UK, Roger. That industry has a lot of cash. They're trying to appeal to retail to come in and, and get involved in the game. And you mentioned Ponzi scheme. You know, is it a Ponzi scheme? Do they need a lot of people to come in to keep this thing going? You know, the, the, the jury is out on that. But when you look at Binance, when you look at Tether, these are companies that if you dig not even too deeply, you really only got to scratch the surface of them and you'll see that all is not what it seems. And you know, Tether is 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 a prime example. Here's a company with with a judgment against it from the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, who said verbatim that Tether lied about the size of their reserves. They're supposed to have one dollar in reserves. They're a stable coin. They're, they're, a, they're a stable coin, as I mentioned. Yeah, of, of Tether an issue, and the attorney, New York Attorney General, the most powerful attorney general in the country, said flat out on their website they lied. There was no yeah. black and white. Now, they paid a fine and didn't admit any wrongdoing, which is the way things go these days. But um, a lot of these companies, Binance and Tether particularly, if you look into them, there is an awful lot of grey around these companies. It's not black and white. They're not regulated. They shift their domiciles. There's all kinds of stuff. Just start going down the rabbit hole if you want to, and you'll find that they're, all is not what it seems. But you know, as as the betting companies were at, the, at that moment in time, Raj, they're the ones with the cash, and they've got the cash because crypto is going up, and they want to legitimise themselves. They want their names plastered on as many things as they can because that's how you get the retail crowd. They, they, they become familiar with the name. It gets them comfortable with the business because, hey, if Binance is on Lazio shirts, it's got to be legit business, right? And if Tether's on the roof of a stadium, it's got to be legit business. I mean, how, how could it be there if it wasn't? And that's the way these things work. You know, I, I remember Enron Field, right? The um, the Houston yep. Astros uh, home stadium. Enron got the naming rights for that. This is a story as old as the hills. But what, what I would say to people that don't know the story would be to um, to go and investigate. Tether particularly, I, I, I've, I put a podcast out and I also released um, a letter I wrote all about both of those, um, which I think are um, a good background and they'll point you down the right directions of, of where the rabbit holes are. But um, yeah, like Roger, I, I think this kind of stuff is 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 dangerous to have, particularly Binance and Tether all over this. Uh, I think the NFT thing is is much more interesting. It is. Names like, we shouldn't names like, use the two. No, we, and that, that's why that's why I'm making the distinction. Uh, you know, companies like Binance and Tether, there is enough smoke around them to be deeply suspicious of what's happening under the hood, but. NFTs are very interesting, particularly in sport. I think the NFT boom, even though an awful lot of that is going to go up in smoke, the way these things always do, what's left, I think, will be a tremendous positive for sports. And it's yet to become obvious how that will play out. 
but I think NFTs have a have a remarkably big role to play in sport going forward. You know, when you Ch- Giles, you know, I don't know whether you saw it this week, but you know, talking about crypto, there's I saw a tweet where, where you know apparently it's now becoming an addiction issue for Premier League players. You know, um, I'm sure we're going to you know link this a little bit to that wonderful Paul Merson documentary, but you know, uh, th- this is something that is a real challenge for sport. Um, I, I genuinely believe, in, as I said earlier, this world of Gen Z and how they operate and how they consume and how they pay money for digital goods and uh, buying, buying uh, stuff on the, on the chain and, and crypto and, 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 and all that. I believe in all of that. Does that mean that I believe that Animoca has got a valuation of a billion? Because, by the way, it's got a little shareholding in Dapper Labs, which is obviously the NFT provider. You know, we shouldn't confuse the two. It, the valuations that may possibly be in a bubble doesn't mean that the underlying trend, trend isn't there. But, Giles, how do you deal with something that comes out, which will have now be a story, Premier League players getting addicted on, on trading a crypto? Well, I think, I mean, obviously, it's related to gambling and, and maybe to hyperbole and great riches. And that one is one of the areas that probably sport in particular has to be so careful about, particularly for for footballers or those with with great amount of money, is getting sucked into into the wrong schemes, into the wrong thing, particularly without regulation, with that, particularly with the expertise and the guidance. So I saw that I saw the um, the article that you sent and just put up on the on the screen, and I think as ever, it's if you're uninitiated, if you don't know about things. It's like it's like going to the horse races. If you don't know, you can be fleeced. So you have to be careful. And I think that guidance and crypto is new. And there's so many the vernacular is all so new. And I suspect there's quite a lot of snake oil out there. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I, I mean, like when you link it to the betting thing, and you know, coming back to to Ari buying Open Bet, which is one of the major companies in the plumbing of the whole betting industry and you look at, you know, Radar and you look at Genius and, 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 and you know, obviously IMG themselves. Um, betting is going to be such a big part of the sports industry lifetime value, um, as I said before. And then I, I, I don't think MD can see that Paul Merson documentary or read about, you know, what happened with Football Index, which, you know, all of that is coming out now. You know, all of that horrible stuff is coming out now. And and then you see the, you know, as I say, the crypto stuff. This is the biggest conundrum I think there is for spoilers, the Football Index one. How can you look at what is going to be a major, major revenue stream as the sport uh, polarizes uh, certainly for second, third, fourth tier uh, sports rights, and see the thing about Merson and all of that, and not say, how am I going to resolve this? And and you know, many people, I just think, manage to still keep the two things separate. Say, oh, isn't it a shame, Paul Merson? Um, you know, he was manipulated in that way, and in the betting companies. And then over here, oh yeah, there's a great deal for you know my data rights that are linked to betting. I'm going to take that. Do, do, do you think, Giles, that the industry is deliberately keeping these two things apart or, you know, is it just that they're, they're not joined up the dots yet? Well, I think there's a morality conundrum in sport. There always has been, though, in as far as, on one hand, the purists would say, and, and, and we would all say as people who've taken part in sport at any level or watched any level, is that sport is a great 
um, educator for life, about values, about how to live um, as a human being with respect and with, with with humility and all of those things that good sport teaches. Golf, it doesn't matter. All sports yeah. do. And then on the other side, you look at where the finance is coming from. As you say, we're looking at the, the lifetime value. We're looking at different revenue streams. And clearly, betting by far and away is going to be a major lead in that new revenue. Yeah. Which in of itself is also going to cause all manner of heartache and bleed and loss. And that's a really big, you know, that it's a that's a that's a that's an episode in itself of it morality. Is. Because on one hand you want the the power of mammon and the power of growth, greed and commercial commercialization. And of that you feed off weakness. At the same time, we're looking at sports saying little Johnny or little Elizabeth learns to play football and learns to play in a team sport and learns some really useful life lessons. And there's a dichotomy. And yeah. it's it's one of sports tragedies, actually. Because but look, we, look, we, we just we, we we all remember we're old enough to remember when uh, just about every major sporting event, particularly in the UK, was sponsored by tobacco companies, right? I mean, that wasn't that long ago it was half a lifetime ago for us i mean it was benson hedges this it was silk cut that it was i mean all of it it was marlborough everything was was tobacco related and that ultimately when the time came to make the the moral judgment on it it didn't take long for it all to just go away and sport was left to figure out what to do i mean you must have been in the middle of that right or, or picking up the pieces from it what was that like when all that money which is the biggest pool of sponsorship money in sport went away well, it went, and the banks picked it, picked it up briefly. Right. You're absolutely right. It suddenly became the area to, to grab hold of. You, you think of golf. Well, actually, you think of all of us when you're young. It was all based on on cigarettes. Yeah, it really was, and booze in a in a yeah. big way. And and that sense of morality is is different because, on one hand, big government talk about morality, and yet many of the politicians have none. Surely it's interesting. It's interesting. Thirty years ago, in the certainly in the UK, when whatever you think of the the morality of of individual politicians, but there was a lot more morality than there is now. Yeah. And yet, at the same time, I suspect in the UK it's going to get more and more squeezed out as we become more dystopian. Um, let me let me let me let me let me pick up on that because I think one of the biggest stories uh, this week. Um, you talked about tobacco companies. What was the, the change for tobacco companies? It's when um, they were accused of selling addictive uh, goods to children. To minors, yeah. Yeah, right. So who's watching what's happening to Facebook? And yeah. that whistleblower. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, we've all got to love Facebook and everything like that for everything they've done, and uh, I'm a bit, I'm a big fan of all of that. But you know, what were the words that were used this week? It was addictive to young kids, makes them feel bad about themselves, harmful. As soon as you put addictive and minors together, you as a business are in a world of pain, and. I think this is a story that is underreported. That, Roger, that used to be the case, or, or rather the, the consequences used to happen much faster today, particularly with technology. And look, this story about Facebook, addiction, harmful, all that stuff, that's been around for a long, long time. You know, there, there was an article, a very important article written in The Atlantic that must have been 
yeah, yeah. six, seven years ago um, about the dangers of smartphones for kids. That was smartphones in general, yeah. yeah. No, no, but but it's all it's all part of the same thing. But the, this but idea they've done a report now, Grant, that that's oh, just I, what I mean, Jesus, I mean, it's an internal market research. Oh, well, the, and, and, and the whistleblower is leaking all this stuff that Facebook yeah. knows all about. Um, uh, it's no surprise to anybody, I don't think, right? What's surprised is that it's leaked. The question, Rog, the big question is what gets done about it? Because what you're now doing is you're taking on arguably the most powerful companies, not just in the world right now, but of our lifetimes. These big tech companies, Google, Facebook, uh, yep. Apple, are the most powerful companies, arguably, that we've ever seen. Yeah. And the, the sway they have over policymakers is extraordinary. So yeah. it's going to be very interesting to see. There are plenty of calls to break up Facebook, break up Google. Um, and I think there's an awful lot to be said for that. But so far, they're not gaining any traction because of the the, the, the power that these companies have um, is a very, very difficult thing to go up against. So I, I think you're absolutely right. Do I think the the kind of retribution side of it happens as fast as it did with, say, tobacco? Not a chance. Not a chance. I, I might take a little trade with you on that one, Grant. I, 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 would, I would love to be wrong. I would love to be wrong, Roger. I really Does would. Does that mean you're both going to be gambling? Trading, my friend. Rogers. Tra trading, my friend. No. Very, very different. That is different. That's <laughs> hey, guys, I've got a good idea just to break this up a bit. You know, we're um, we're meeting in December. We are having our, our little summit. Yes, we are. Over a pie, gravy, and a pint, maybe two of both. Well, a posh one, given a where you've got a pint yeah. of gravy. No, a pint of gravy. Well, I just have this idea, and you might shoot me down. You may hate it, and, we, and maybe no one will turn up. But you had leaders, you had Sportel, people coming together. Maybe we should release that date when we're going to be in town. And for a couple of hours, announce when and what pub we're going to be. Oh, what if nobody turns up, Giles? That would be it's so fine. Excellent idea. It was great And then, and, and I can, I can always send some of my family in. It's all right. They definitely yeah. Come deep, in we'll we'll deep fake it. All the ones with eye patches are with Giles. <laughs> <laughs> but I just I thought it'd be nice. Let's we should meet our audience, and if people are around in London, well, this is this is about meeting our audience. People can ask questions. I've not had many sure. tonight. I'm not but... formal. We'll just be at the bar. I mean, I'm just simple as that, but that's how people like to... Just, to, to... I'm all for it. I'm all yeah. for it. I think, I think Roger's, right, Roger's worried that he's going to just offend everybody, but that's that's what they come for, He will offend everyone. And, 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 Roger, I didn't say we were going to buy everyone pints, so you don't worry. You don't need to put your hand in your pocket. Um, but I just oh, we think... could get a sponsor. We could get Facebook to sponsor it. <laughs> <laughs> or a betting company. Um, or a crypto think, company. Yes. Well, on the next groundsman, we'll announce the date and the venue. I'll have a give a think about that. But I think it would be great if there are people in early December who might be in London town, will be around as the groundsman at the bar, pork scratchings in one hand, pint of mild in the other, and see if we can meet anyone. I'd love to I see some it, people. I think that's an excellent idea, Charlie. Fine, yeah, done, 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 done. Uh, listen, and we're not going to run over this week like we did the last time. Um, a couple <laughs> of things I want to ask you guys about. Uh, you probably saw... Uh, that whole NFL um, stuff where, yeah. you know, um, uh, the interesting thing, listen, the, the comments he made are just atrocious, right? I, I don't think there's any excuse you can say, oh, they were done years ago, we should forgive. They're just so jarring now that I personally think that, that he had nowhere to go. But that's not really the interesting part of the story. It's the politics behind 
and all those other emails, no, nobody else said anything, you know, and now you've got all the conspiracy theories about, you know, uh, Goodell and that like, he never liked this guy and he wanted him out and the union guy who um, was running for re-election and this was perfect timing for him. And I don't know if you saw, you followed the kind of like second and third wave of this story, but it is a classic example of sports politics. It's just amazing. No, I, I, t- I totally agree with you. And, I, and one thing I can promise you is it will all come out. It you will think, all come out. You yeah. think? Yeah, it just it, it was the right time for uh, for John Gruden's stuff to come out now, and it'll be the right time at some point for Roger Goodall's stuff to come out. It will it will come out. There's just you know, it, it was interesting. And you're right, this stuff he wrote was was hugely objectionable. But it was interesting that uh, he wasn't employed by anybody in the NFL at the time, and um, you know, these are private conversations. It just it just shows you that this is the world we live in now. You know, everybody has to be careful of what they say at every point in time. And, and re- Roger, going back to that last thing about Facebook and stuff, this is why these companies are so powerful, right? They have all this data. They have all the information. All they the have all the emails. They have all. All the, it's all there, right? It's all there. And so, you know, I was watching um, the latest Dave Chappelle Stand up. Yeah, I saw that. And again, yeah. there's been a huge amount of controversy over that. Yeah. To me, I, I think the people who watch it are not listening to what he says. I think it's I think he's incredibly brave, Dave Chappelle. I think he's a he's a fantastic comedian. And I keep using the quote that Ricky Gervais famously said about people mistaking the subject and the target of the joke, because they're rarely the same. And it's absolutely right, but the Chappelle uh, stand up has also caused a lot of stuff, and there's been whistleblowers at Netflix now. Sending yeah, yeah. out, you know, the cost of it, and and that's blown up. It's very, very difficult now for anything to stay private. You know, we all live our lives in the public eye, and so every email you write, every text message you send, you have to imagine it being splashed on the front pages because at some point, if it's important for somebody to bring it up, they will. And uh, I think that's a great shame. I, I suspect at some point. That pendulum will swing back the other the other way, and people will stop reporting private stuff. But I think we're a long way from that yet. And uh, what we saw with John Gruden, I suspect, is going to prove to be the tip of the iceberg of that story. Uh, I think there'll be ESPN executives, there'll be NFL executives, there'll be all kinds of people who ultimately get implicated in that. Um, and I think we are at the very, very beginning of that story, Roger. I don't think it's going to go away quietly. <laughs> Well, it's usually me that's a cynic, uh, but there, there you go. Uh, you're probably right. It'll all come out when it's uh, somebody else's turn to be yeah, the... But, but, you know, it's not only... Ju- this is, you know, whatever it is, an eight, nine, ten-year story. But we're facing this in society as history is trying to be re- rewritten and re- re- revisions to, to history of things that happened in the past of a bygone era. And for me, I find not his comments clearly objectionable. I'm not really talking about that. But the sense that everything now is, as you say, in the public domain and therefore goes back infinitely as well, for me, is a terrifyingly dystopian world we're living in. It is. And, no, I, I, it I, is. It, and I hope the pendulum will swing at some point. People go, you cannot live like this because, as we say, stand-up comedians, you know, there's there's everybody jumping on the bandwagon of what I think was voted one of the greatest comedies of the 70s, Forty Towers is now pretty much written out of the syllabus because of comedy that at the time was of the time and very funny. 
I'm not saying it's right now, but you have, you know, God, you can take it right back. I don't think the Egyptians were kind to their slaves, right? No. When the pyramids were built, but the pyramids are what they are. And I think all of this stuff, it, it scares the shit out of me, to be honest. <laughs> Partly because well, I don't no, know. No, like, no, wait, wait, right. wait till we see a, a, a crypto company get the naming rights for the pyramids, Charles. That'll, that'll close the circle completely when we see <laughs> FTX blazing on the side of the pyramids. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's like coming back to the NFL a, a second, you know, uh, we've talked about this not not in, in, in the first uh in the first, uh, uh, the, first, the first kind of like major item of the, the shows, but we've talked about the NFL over three or four shows now. And, and, and uh, the more, the more you, you look at this organization, which, you know, still is the big daddy, isn't it? It still is the big daddy. I mean, and I speak as somebody that, 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 that was in a role that you had to try and you know, run a league when you've got all these powerful, powerful owners. But but I, I think it's I was doing nothing compared to the kind of stuff that goes on at the NFL. You know, like if you even think these days about what the latest iteration is, which is you know getting the the legal boys involved and in whether you can move a franchise from one city to another. I mean, I don't know who's following that story with um, the Rams. Rams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have now got you know the courts involved that you know uh, you're not going to be allowed to move. Uh, which court has got jurisdiction? Surely it can't be tried in, in St. Louis because you're not going to get a, a fair hearing. And um, the monies involved are massive. You know, the more and more you think about the NFL and and you know, also what they're doing with international strategy and everything like that. It is one very, very mean beast, isn't it? You know, they are not—they are not playing softball. That's my point. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. So, I think Sean's got some. I think Sean's got a couple of questions for us, Rog. Here we go. You're asking me to read this. A club is a, is a sub business by definition. The problems is that they've spread their experience and content to them across too many channels over which they have no control. Well, you know that's that's a very difficult um, one to to comment and criticise too much because they they really sell most of their content through the league that they and the competitions that they're involved in, and they, their own media channels um, have grown up around outside live content uh, highlights. You know, twenty four hour uh, holdback periods, um, tra- uh, friendly games, training sessions. Um, and now the, the, the question is a good one because now you, you, you're you saying, well, if they are becoming a media company, uh, what is the, the, the content that they, they actually do have control over? You know, and, 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 and more and more you're going to see them. It's always been the trend for, for 30 years, those of us that know about this, is that, um, you know, the big clubs have always wanted more and more of that content themselves. They can't have it. You know, th- this this is going to be one of the very interesting things here, especially if you don't get if you don't get a super league. Th- this is you know this is quite um, counterintuitive. If you don't get a super league, what the clubs, the big clubs, and the existing national leagues will, will continue to do is say, "I want more myself." You know, like okay, I'll give you some of my games, but you'll let me do the overseas myself. You'll let me do my data rights myself. You know, my image rights. You know, and you'll let me speak to EA, EA games. My, you know what I mean. So uh, it is fragmented, but that is because of the nature of clubs and the leagues and the FAs and everything like that. It's it's a complex situation, and I wouldn't be quick to criticize clubs they're getting their game together now they're starting to monetize their social media you know uh, companies like horizon are, are starting to really show them the, the value they are and it's going to continue but 
I understand why it's fragmented and why it seems well, frustrating. Uh, Sean, just bring up that last question again, because this, this goes back to a point Laurie Pinter made. And I think this is this ties in what we were saying at the beginning, Rog. You know, less than 7% of fans drive 90% of the revenue. And you want to grow that 7%. And you, they're the ones you want to get hold of, right? This, this size idea that size is the answer. You get to 100 million Instagram followers and everything is golden. I just, I just don't believe it. I've, I've seen that up close. I understand well, how it works. And well, you know, I mentioned, you know, I mentioned at the start accounting porn. I'm going to continue on this exact point. Um, there's this principle that, that people that work in business from a finance point of view use. It's called the Pareto principle, which says that 80% of your profits come from 20% of your clients. So the, the question is, is it worth chasing the 80% of clients that are giving you very little of your profits? Why don't you just focus on the big ones? That is a principle that is so, so relevant so relevant for the sports industry. You know, when you come back to that formula, lifetime value, uh, the lifetime value of every customer isn't going to be the same. And, and you know, are we ready to embrace that? Are we ready to put in systems that realize what your kind of like, your, your, your contribution margin, unit economics by fan is? The answer is you should be able to get to that. The data will allow you to get to that. Is it politically acceptable to start saying that some fans are more valuable than others? You know, in a world where it's already difficult to talk about a Super League or to talk about some clubs going bust and others doing Do you know what I mean? It's like, uh, it's right in the middle of what I call a little bit this um, philosophical argument about is this uh, a business? If it's a business, you need to think about that golden formula and the Pareto principle. Uh, if it's not a business, you can start talking about basically socialist you know subsidies all the way around so everybody's at the same level together with the betting thing i said earlier i think that's the big conundrum for sport what do you want to be in life do you want to be a business or do you want to be some kind of like social construct you know working class hero type you know we're all in it together and there, and go i on, I'm, I'm, go on, on you go. go no I'm, I'm done no i i, I think do you want to be a business this is not the question right the question is do you want to be a profitable business because what we've lived through is a period where no one asked that question. Everyone said, I want to start a business. And they got access to capital. And there's a huge world out there. And there's a huge audience out there. And technology allows you to reach it very easily. So I want to be a business. And we'll figure the profit out later because how can we not be profitable? There's such a huge audience out there. I think what's happening now is you have to ask that question. Do I want to be a profitable business? Because if you want to be a profitable business, unless you can find a way to reach a massive audience without scaling up your own infrastructure and your own costs, you're not going to be a profitable business. Now, the one thing technology can do is enable you to reach big audiences cheaply. Scalability, um, yeah. That's what tech does. Yeah, but, yeah you can scale. Right, but scale for scale's sake is, is the mistake that everybody makes. They're like, right, we're going we're gonna to borrow a lot of money. We're going to scale up our infrastructure, and that will help us scale up our audience. And it's like the underpants gnomes in South Park, you know, step three, profits. That's just how the mindset has been for a long time now. And there is so many new entries into every single corner of the sports industry that you, know, you end up with the Highlander principle, Rog, right? There can be only one. There can be yeah, only yeah, but, but, you, but you take my point, and, and this why no, I, like, I, called, I called on your podcast, this beautiful chaos of the sports industry, you need to be skilled up. You need to be a strategic marketer that knows, you know, lifetime value, cost of, of customer acquisition, Pareto principle, unit economics, which is your point. You know, like show me the unit economics for scaling up. 
And, and, and like, I still see a lot of people, as Giles said at the start, you know, in the conference, you know, as it go on, you know, you know, like, I don't, I don't, I don't see the industry really getting with the program. But Rog, the, the, the scaling up thing, right? The scaling up is in people's minds is infinite. Right, they, when you talk about scaling up, it's like right, we'll get to a million. And people's customers. minds, not in a good the finance reality, person's right. mind. In the a good finance is, person's mind, you do the numbers. Yeah, you might be scaling up to five thousand subscribers. That may be your subscription pool, right? So, how do you build a business that works with five thousand subscribers? Agreed. What do you have to? What do they have to pay Agreed. you? What do your overheads have to be? And that's the bit that people are going to get slapped around the head with. I completely because, agree, mate. Because they're not going to be able to just borrow money, hand over fist, and, and scale up, and profits will come later. That's going to change. Maybe not yet with the crypto money that we've talked about, but that will change. Yeah. I think that's us done. We don't want to run over yeah, like we'll the last time. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly right. We'll give, we'll give a chance to, to actually say goodbye to it this time, Roger, without you just going, and another... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I quite enjoyed was the opportunity to try and dust down a bit of a Connery, uh, Connery impression of uh, Juan Ramirez uh, playing uh, in Highlander, which of course uh, is one of the great films of the modern era. And uh, with Highlander, of course, a Scotsman played by a Frenchman, go figure. And, 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 and actually, sorry, Charles, I thought you were doing the Irish uh, cop in the Untouchables then. Ah, oh, just well, like that. Oh, no, I, can't, I can't use that quote, actually. But then, just like uh, uh, bring a knife to a gunfight, death. That's it. One of you hits That's in the it. hospital, you put two of his in their morgue. That's the Chicago way. There you go. Yeah. Excellent. Irish cop. Absolutely excellent. Irish cop. Well, well we could do uh, Oh, just very quickly, we could just do the Russian, the Russian submarine Scottish, commander. Ah, oh, Vashelli, give him one ping and one ping only. Superb. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you were fluent in so many languages, Josh. It's amazing. And the films. Really and the film quotes. Oh, yeah. Ah, yeah. It's like yeah. Guys, we are, we are going to land this with some style this week, right on the money. So, look, our thanks to everybody out there for listening. Thanks for your questions. If you're not following us already, please follow us on uh, on Twitter. You'll find us at Entertained R. Please thank our sponsors, Entourage Media, for helping us bring this to you live and in person. You will find me on Twitter, if you want to do that, at TTMYGH. And you'll find me, Giles Morgan, at GilesMorgan71. And you'll find myself, as it says here, RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Gentlemen, it's 159 and 30 seconds. It's great job. Here before we turn into pumpkins. Thanks all. <laughs> Thank you.